The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. All right, well, time's been short. This is always such a quick event, but I'm just happy it's in person. The only event last year um, that we didn't do in person was this event. We did it, we, we live-streamed it, and I know a lot of you guys, y'all tracked that and followed that. It's just good to be able to do it in person. It's a good size of, you know, like a couple hundred people, and um, so it feels personal and intimate. I hope it's been good, good experience for you. I know a lot of you got to get on the road, so I will not be long-winded, I, pro- I promise, but I want to be, I want to give you a practical application in our closing time to, to sort of lift the, the heaviness of what we talked about this morning. I don't know if that felt heavy to you. It sure felt heavy to me preparing and delivering it, and uh so I want to look at what, what we have as a responsibility and an opportunity to, to lead and to example. So for personal application and in, how, in, in terms of how we teach students, um, what it looks like to not drift. What, how, how do we stay out of that? How do we avoid that? So we'll go to Second Peter chapter uh, 1, and we're going to focus really on verses 12 through 15. Do a quick run through of verses 3 through 11. Just read through them, a couple short comments. We're going to get to verses 12 through 15. And I want to leave you, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm serious, this is going to be a, a much shorter sermon than normal because of the time of day. You've got to be on information overload at this point. Um, I have uh, 11 pages of notes, and I realize there's no way they can, there's no way. There's like, that's, it's a 40 minute talk. Um, so, I'm going to do it at Red Oak Church tomorrow night. So um, you, can, you can follow that. Check it out on Facebook Live. Some of you are staying and going. So there you go. But we're going to do this just brief, a kind of an exit application as you're leaving here. Okay, exit application. Second Peter chapter, um, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, part 2 to what we talked about this morning. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own excellent to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire so in the first two verses, I'm going to give you four thoughts this, this evening. The first one is in these first two verses, and this is the assertion that Peter is making. So the assertion that he's making, and that assertion is, here is the reality of your faith. And we don't have time to unpack these, the, these different components he's going to give us, but just know this, and in your own follow-up and study time, th- Peter is asserting that there is a reality to the Christian faith and when Peter asserts that this is a reality, that should give us confidence. We don't have to dwell in doubt. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to hope. We don't have to hope without confidence. There's an assertion here that God has granted to us. By the way, the word power is the Greek word dunamis, and it's an explosive, that word we get dynamite from, this explosive power, God's spirit in us, through his knowledge and by his promises. So the reality that Peter is asserting for the believer that that will keep us from drifting is that God gives us knowledge and God makes to us promises. And if we rest in those promises, hold fast to those promises, grow in that knowledge of who God is, then we'll stay the course. J.I. Packer says this in his book, Knowing God, which I believe is is must read for spiritual growth and development. Uh, What were we made for to know God? What aim should we set ourselves in life? 
to know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. Once you've become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. So the knowledge of God is the first assertion of reality for the believer. Second one is that God has made certain promises to us. He's given us uh, these promises, and this is used, that, like, like the way that Peter words this is in, a, is in a certain particular tense. He has given, Peter is implying not only that God has given these promises to us, but that he has also fulfilled them in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So the confidence for the believer is in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, not in who we are and what we've done. The, the assertion, the reality for us as ministers of the gospel is, is that Jesus promises things based on his ability, not based on our ability. So we hold to those promises. What are some of those promises that we have in Scripture? Here's, here's a few. Greater, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Through Christ we overwhelmingly conquer. In Christ I realize that God really does love me. Jesus died to set me free from sin. Jesus died to give me his righteousness. I'm a member of the household of God. I'm a co-heir with Jesus. Jesus began a good work in me. Jesus will be faithful to complete it. I've been saved by grace. John 10, 28. No one will pluck me from the hand of God. I'm a citizen in the kingdom of Jesus. I'm adopted as a son. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in me. Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. Jesus has justified me and will glorify me. And God loves me. And we could go on and on and on and on. The assertion that Peter's making is that your faith rests in the reality of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus promises. Not based on your ability, not even based on your giftings. It takes the pressure off of us, puts the pressure on Jesus, and he can handle the pressure. Number two, we get to verse five, verses five through nine. For this very reason, make every effort to su supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The second point is this. Not only do we have the assertion that Peter's making, but we have the application of that assertion. So here's this assertion, this reality that Peter has given us in the first couple of verses. The assertion being the reality of our faith is the promises of God, the knowledge of God is something that's been given to us through Christ. But number two, the application is our response to that. What is the response of our faith? We as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ are first and foremost sons and daughters of God responding to our Father, responding to our Savior, responding to the Holy Spirit, responding to the Word of God. This is a really cool stretch of Scripture right here that we don't have, again, time to drill into tonight, but David Helm calls these verses the golden chain that lead you to heaven. He's putting an image on these verses that, that liken a golden chain or stairway that leads one step after another into a higher plane, higher plane, higher plane in the form of a ladder that eventually takes us from earthly faith in Jesus to everlasting life. I, I read uh, one commentator said this, that real faith sweats. And what he's given us here is that 
we have this journey, this climb, this grind, this labor, this, that we're going to climb and work. And when you work through this, the idea is that we build on our faith virtue and on our virtue knowledge. And Peter's big on knowledge. He talks about it often. Self-control, steadfastness, the idea that we're steadfast in the fight, that we fight for the pursuit of holiness, that we fight to continue even when we've fallen, that we fight the darkness with the light of the gospel, that we fight lies with truth, that we fight temptation with the sword of the spirit, that we fight bitterness with the heart of forgiveness, that we fight wantonness with, and greed with contentment, that we fight envy and satisfaction that comes from knowing and surrendering Jesus, that we fight for those who can't fight for themselves with the courage and determination that the Lord supplies, and that we fight smart and that we fight dirty. The word of God is a sword. It's the sword of the spirit, and it overwhelms the flesh and the evil one. So we fight for steadfastness. And, and, then, and then that leads to godliness. And then that leads to brotherly affection. Our love towards Jesus and others grow through the succession of faith as Christians. Ultimately, when we realize how much we're loved by God, we will love others based on that. So we love God. We love people because we're loved by God. And that leads ultimately to love that most beautiful of loves agape love agapeo god is love peter has poetically built us up to the point of realizing that our faith where we begin the latter will ultimately lead us to love for god so i would challenge you i would exhort you i would plead with you to study that succession of rungs on that ladder do we just stop with faith or do we strive for virtue do we add to our virtue knowledge do we strive through the rungs of this ladder constantly? And it's, and it's cyclical because I'm going to constantly climb through these characteristics as a Christian. If we go back to what we talked about this morning. This climb is what keeps me from drifting. We said that all you got to do to drift is nothing. But if you're on the ladder, and, you, and some of you guys, some of y'all scared to death of heights. And you get on that ladder and, and it shakes like this. We used to. We used to do the, we had a wreck where you had to start off on a ladder. We used to do wrecks that didn't get inspected. Man, that was the good old days. That was a good time. Some of y'all started in youth ministry back before you worried about st stuff like risk management and stuff. <laughs> that ladder, it was always funny. Somebody was really scared of heights. They'd be about halfway up that ladder, and you couldn't, they couldn't hide the shaking. That ladder would tell on them, you know. It'd be wobbling back and forth. But this idea of gripping this, this, this golden ladder of the Christian journey of sanctification and adding one thing to the next, it's a, it's a journey that's given steps and process. And if we do that, he, he comes to verse 9 and he says, if we don't do that, the person who doesn't do this is nearsighted. He lacks these spiritual virtues. He's, he's able to see earthly things that are nearby, but unable to see heavenly things that seem far away. Y'all, this is where right now, you are, we are surrounded, like, like we're ministering in a culture that is trying to take earthly things and apply to them spiritual or heavenly meaning and then give students the idea that this is virtuous to fight for this. There's no greater virtue than to fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no greater work than to labor that the lost might be found, that the blind might be given sight, that the dead might be raised to life. That's what we've been called to, and that's a labor. But the nearsighted person only sees the things that are nearby. He's forgotten the greatest reality of the gospel in verse 9, namely that righteous God has forgiven sinners. And next, Peter moves to the appeal in verses 10 to 11. So we've got 
what Peter asserts, what he, what he declares as true, and then, and then the application for us, the, the reality of our faith. And then, then, then he, we come to verse 10, and he's going to appeal to us for the results of our faith. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. Did you hear that? Go back to this morning. If you practice these qualities, what's that word practice mean in Scripture? It's that idea that this is the trajectory that I'm on. We're not perfect, but when you fall and hit your face, you're going to get up bloody and mangled and beat up sometimes, and we just keep grinding it out. That if we practice, in other words, if this is our pattern of living, faith to virtue, to knowledge, to steadfastness, to, to, to brotherly affection and, and to, to agape love for God and for people, that if that's my constant pattern of living, then I'm not going to drift. That's what verse 10 is saying. If you practice these things, you won't fall away. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a role in the fight, so the appeal is the result of our faith will be all of this action that then leads to the fact that we will stay the course. So we've got the assertion, we've got the application, we've got the appeal, and I couldn't help it. This is a youth ministry event, so I had to have some fun with the fourth one. We got the after party, all right, the after party. If you're going to alliterate, sometimes you have to get really creative. The after party is where I want to focus for the last seven minutes, and that'll land us at 20 minutes for this session. Verses 12 through 15, the after party is the resilience of faith. Verse 12, he says this, therefore, I, now I want you to watch, as we read through these four verses, I want you to look, count, see if you get how many times he talks about reminding us of something. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and, as, and I will make every effort that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. How many times? Three. You see it? Verse 12, verse 13, verse 15. Three times he says, I want to remind you. There are the, these are all things that we need to know, but that we need to constantly be reminded of. The, we, we, we talk about constantly preaching the gospel to ourselves. This morning we talked about, therefore, based on this, this, this reality, this exposition of theological truth, that this is who Jesus is. Therefore, here's the warning, hold fast to this truth, guard yourself against this warning. Here, we're being reminded of those same things, and specifically, we're being reminded of what that means for the Christian journey, that God has, by his divine power, given us promises, by his divine power, imparted to us knowledge, and that in that process, he's called us to application of that power and that knowledge to get on the ladder and start climbing. Faith and knowledge and virtue and steadfastness, that we're called to this journey. And then he just says, hey, I'm leaving. Just keep reminding yourself of this. I'm not going to be able to stand here and keep preaching this to you. I'm leaving. I'm departing. I'm going to walk. I'm, early church history, um, Rob was sharing with me this week, that early church history records that Peter looked at his wife who was being carried. So vivid right now with what's going on in Afghanistan. That Peter looks at his wife as she's being carried to be crucified. And he encourages her. You're not, you're not, you're, this is just the door that Christ has already walked through. 
And we're going to walk through it and we're going to see Jesus. So as he's leaving this world, he's reminding, reminding the church to be reminded of the things that he's consistently taught. He uses a really cool image here. He says, he says I want to stir you up by way of reminder in verse 13. Today, I'm, uh, today I went to Taco Bell. It's a good day. It's a good day when you go to Taco Bell. Some people don't like Taco Bell. Man, I don't understand that. You get extra meat for like 59 cents. You go get that ground beef extra, and it's cheap, and you get a good meal at Taco Bell. I don't care what anybody says. Taco Bell, ain't nothing wrong with Taco Bell. And I went to Taco Bell today and got a bunch of tacos. I ain't going to tell you all how many, but it was a bunch. And I had my youngest boy with me, and I said, you want one of them slushy things? I forget what they call them. Um, Breeze? Is that what it's called? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Freezy, slushy, freezy, freezy. I said, which one you want? He said, I want the blue lemonade. I said, of course you do, the blue lemonade. Blue, it's blue, it's lemonade, so we get that. And, but we just went to, we, we went to Pelicans last week. Y'all know about Pelicans, snow cones, snowballs, what, snowballs? Whoever come up with that was as Christian as Truett Cathy when he made chicken, man. I'm telling you, Pelican snowballs, they they made snowballs great again. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I and you can get the snowball stuffed, which means you take something that's real good and make it better by putting ice cream in the middle of it. And I, and and so we go to the Pelican Snowball. I got I got we made two runs and and uh, it, y'all it was awesome. The second time we went, the little girl at the window, I gave her a big fat tip because they were closed, and I pulled in with my whole family and our. You know, our, our beat-up minivan, one door won't open the mirror. I done, I, done, I done wrecked one door, pulled the door off. Them sliding doors, they got them electric doors. I ain't preaching now. I'm just ranting just to friends, okay? But, like, you know them doors that slide electrically? You push the button and the door supposed to slide. Them things never hold up for a family like my family. Whoever, whatever suburbanites they designed that for, don't live on my road. I can tell you that. Because about six months out of the year, you need four-wheel drive to get on my road. And, that, and I'm trying to get that thing open, and I forgot I had disconnected the electronic feature because it was driving me crazy because it was shorting out. You'd be driving down the road, and that door would say, like this, you had to pull over. Like, ah, the van's got like 250,000 miles on it. I hate buying vehicles. Just hate it. So, so I had just pulled, <laughs> pulled the door off my van. I pulled it off at a wedding last weekend, a snowbird wedding. I had to wait in my suit, trying to get the door. I finally got the door, knee on it, shoulder, and got the door back on. Don't touch the door. Pull it. So got the door, like, rigged up. The, I done knocked the mirror off this side. That van is so nasty. Pull up to the Pelicans at 9.01 or 10.01, whenever they're closing. And I said, would you please let, let us experience this? And so the girls, they served us all, and I gave them like a $15 tip. It was two high school girls, and they were like, oh, here, here. They gave us $25 worth of Pelicans tokens, man. I was like, jackpot. We're going back there. Pelican snowballs, they're delicious, okay? So we go get this thing at Taco Bell, and I hand it to my son. And I realized that what makes Pelican snowballs so good is you never have to stir them up. The ratio is, is like anything worth doing is worth overdoing. And when it comes to Pelican Snowballs, they overdo the juice. Most people skimp you on the juice. And you know what, I, you know what I'm talking about? You sucked all the juice out of it. You got ice. I can eat ice at home. I can take my S-Wing framing hammer and smash up a bunch of cubes of ice and do the same thing at my house. All right, so we're driving down the road today, 
and, I'm, and I've been wrestling for an illustration to make this point. And Mo's like, you know, he's, he's at the bottom of that thing. And I look over there, he's got that much ice left in it. And I was like, give me that thing, bro. I said, let me show you how this works. I pull the truck over, take the lid off, and I slam the bottom of that thing into the console and then stir it up, slam it some more, stir it up. And I'm like, go ahead. And he sucks around that thing for a little while. And, and then pretty soon he's got it figured out. Got to stir it up, got to mix it up, got to stir it up, got to mix it up. Otherwise, you end up with just a bunch of ice. This imagery, you can apply whatever you want to apply this to. It could be, it could be epoxy or concrete or something that has to be stirred where if it isn't stirred, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. You ever try to work with quickcrete? If you don't get water in that and saturate it and stir it properly, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Our knowledge of who God is has to be stirred by the Holy Spirit. It has to be stirred by repetition. It has to be stirred by the dunamis, the power of God unto salvation, which is the gospel. And so that's why Peter writes and says, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you. There's nothing new. Y'all don't have to, you don't have to come up with something new. In student ministry in 2021, you don't have to come up with something new. Stir up what has worked for 2,000 years. Stir up what the early saints were willing to go to the Roman crosses and die for. Stir up what Athanasius experienced African exile as the one man left standing for orthodoxy in the fourth, third century, fourth century. Stir up what motivated Luther to do what he did to trigger a movement that changed historic Christianity at a time when a progressive movement from the secular world was taken over. Stir up what triggered the Great Awakening. Stir up what our seminaries and Bible colleges were rooted in when Wesley and Whitfield founded them. Stir up the same gospel that is unchanging. Stir up the same virtue and knowledge and truth and steadfastness that is unchanging. That's how we don't drift. You stir it up. Stir it up. You preach the gospel to yourselves. You preach the gospel to your students. And they will never, ever, ever, ever be shortchanged by your ministry. You shake it. You stir it up. You remind them. You remind them. You remind them. The real resilience of faith rests on the constant stirring up and reminding what we know to be true and what we've seen God do. Let me close with this quote from Helms' commentary. What are we to make of this if not that finishing well requires returning to things we have already learned? What a comfort this truth should be in this day and age. Spiritual teachers are bound to seem to always be chasing something new. Like salesmen, they are restless with the apostolic gospel. They claim to be able to give us more. In essence, they would have us think that the gospel that we were saved by is not strong enough to be the gospel by which we should continue standing. Evidently, our day has many things in common with the early church. These early followers of Christ were accosted by new teachings, doctrine cut loose from the moral and ethical standards of the one who Peter preached. Knowing this, Peter decides to close out his life as a preacher by way of reminder. We should mark this insight well. We can never outgrow the good news that Jesus came to make substitution for sin and that this teaching received by faith makes demands upon us to live upright, changed and holy lives so remember that according to peter nothing new will have the power to establish us in faith so stir up the gospel stir up 
orthodoxy. Stir up the historic Christian faith. Do what faithful ministers and stewards of the gospel have been doing for 2,000 years. And if we do that, we will take the light that God's given us and we will drive it into the darkness of the 21st century. It's darker right now than we could ever imagine it being. And we will be those who stand in the darkness with the light and watch God move in a powerful way in the lives of our students. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.